Have you ever had a moment where you did something really stupid, but it was also really like a great decision? Anyone? So we used to do upward basketball here at South Creek. And I remember there was a Saturday morning where we had gotten a ton of snow overnight. And we had to cancel upward. And so at the time, my wife and I, we lived on Washington Street in between Hoffer and Wheeler, right on Washington. And they had gotten about a foot, maybe a little bit more of snow overnight. They had not really done a lot at all on the road conditions. Again, I'm not trying to be mean, but like people all the times are like, I bet you love winter because you're from Michigan. I'm like, I love it because we have things like hills that we can play on. uh, And they actually take care of the roads. I have a little bit of a beef of like, we need to learn the how to take care of roads here sometimes because it's a little frustrating. But anyways, there's about a foot of snow and I, I, something went into my mind. And maybe you've had these moments where it's not a good idea. Maybe it's sort of like the cartoon character, like there's the angel and the devil trying to tell you like, you should do this or you shouldn't do this. So I got the bright idea that we would always um, order donuts just on like a recurring thing for weeks ahead for Upward. And honestly, I thought about the donuts sitting at Dan's Variety Bakery, Dirty Dan's, affectionately as it's called around here. And I thought, they're going to be all alone by themselves. What if no one eats them? And so I told my wife, I have to go rescue them. And so I remember um, after about the third time of getting stuck in our driveway, I finally got myself free. Thankfully, it was only like, you know, a few block drive, if you can think of where this house was, to get to Dan's. And I get there, and I kid you not, I had never in my life went into Dan's and seen more donuts still there. It was amazing. There were donuts I didn't know they made that were there because I'm not usually up at 1 in the morning. Uh, well, I am because of children, but I'm not usually up and getting donuts, sadly. Why have I not done that yet? That's, Anyways, and so I get there, and I, I have this moment. I'm like, hey, you know, I was just going to grab the donuts. My thought was I'd grab them, eat a couple of them because I didn't want to be rude to the donuts, and then I'd bring them to church the next morning. Well, I get there, and we have two dozen donuts, and the lady's like, Hey, as you can see, a lot of people haven't came. Do you think you want an extra two dozen? Now, there's so many things swirling in my mind. This feels like a dream scenario, like one of those sort of fantasy dreams, like you wake up and you're kind of like salivating and it's kind of weird and your wife looks at you like, what's wrong with you? But there was this moment where I said, what do I do? If I get two dozen donuts, here's the issue. I'm going to eat at least a dozen by myself minimum. If I don't, I feel like a failure. And it was in this moment that I could distinctly feel this battle that goes on inside all of us, right? This battle between our desires that are natural and what we ought to do. Now, hindsight's 20-20. I should have taken the the two dozen. I I won't lie. It's like the one time in my life that I feel pretty good about I said no. I didn't take the extra because I was feeling good and I also got new jeans recently and I they wouldn't have fit. But... I say all that to say, because whether we believe it or not, every day in our lives, there's an internal battle that is going on. Paul, in Galatians, as we're going to read in a moment, talks about the idea of the acts or the works of the flesh versus the spirit. And this morning, we're going to talk about this idea of the acts of flesh and the fruit of the spirit. But if you haven't been with us, we are in a series called Let's Say Grace. And in this series, we're exploring this letter that a man named Paul wrote to the, this group of churches in this area called Galatia. 
Today we call this the book of Galatians, and you can find it in what's called the New Testament. The New Testament tells the story of the life and teaching of Jesus, and then it talks about the story of the early church. Now Paul, this guy who wrote this letter, has this crazy story that if you've never read, look in the book of Acts, he has this radical change in his life, and it's pretty amazing. But he's writing this letter, as he would write to many uh, different churches, where typically what he was doing is he was writing to encourage them and usually to uh, uh, tackle a few issues that are going on. And in Galatians, if, if you haven't been with us, what we realized early on is that the big issue that Paul is dealing with in, uh, with the church in Galatia is that there's been people who have came into this church that were primarily people who had no connection to the one true God. In, in Scripture, sometimes you'll read two groups of people. There'll be the Jewish people. These are people who God had a special relationship with in which his desire was to use them to redeem and restore his relationship with all creation. And then there are people that are referred to as the Gentiles. Gentiles would be people who were not of Jewish descent. They did not have the, uh, in particular, especially the faith in the one true God. They oftentimes worshipped many gods or different gods. And so this church in Galatia is primarily made up of uh, Gentile people, people who don't have the background of all of the different laws, like the Ten Commandments and things like that. And so what had happened to this church is that there were people who were coming in there, sometimes referred to as Judaizers, who would try to say that if you wanted to be a follower of Jesus, you must first become a Jewish person. That meant, dudes, you had to get the circumcision. That meant that you had to follow all of the different letters of the law. And Paul is trying to convince them and help them understand that though he himself came of Jewish descent and at one time was sort of a hyper-follower of the law, that through Jesus Christ we no longer have to follow those things, that all you have to do is experience the grace, the free unmerited favor gift of God, the freedom that we find in him, and that it's not about the law anymore, that, that it had its purpose at a moment, but no longer do we have to follow it to every letter anymore because we have found freedom in Christ. And the book of Galatians oftentimes is known as either the letter of freedom or the letter of grace. Now last week, my friend Joel Larison, who's a local pastor, did an awesome job. Um, in fact, it's one of those where I, I kind of have this, this, this personal vendetta of um, when I have a guest speaker, I want you to feel like, wow, we do not have a very good pastor. Like I, my hope is that they do such a good job because there's other pastors who do other where it's like, let me bring in someone. So like when I get back, people are going to be like, yes, <laughs> I'm great. But Joel did an awesome job talking about this idea of generosity. And I hope that uh, you, you took that to heart. I hope you recognize that generosity is more than money, that it's our time, talent and treasure. And, and real quick, I'd love to just let you know, if you are wrestling with, I know Joel challenged everyone to think about generosity and how maybe God may calling you to be generous. One way that you could is one of the um, different uh, local organizations that we support is called uh, Coke Mervin Outreach. Uh, Jeff Newton, who's their executive director, has been here. He's spoken here at our church. One of the programs they do is called uh, Man Up and then Mini Up. And the whole idea is they take young men. They have a, they have a, a program with girls too. But they take young men who oftentimes come from um, homes that are uh, a little bit more broken, that are in uh, kind of below the poverty line, and they help try to instill in them the values of Christ, of character, and they help uh, them develop different skills. One of the ways that you can help with uh, Mini Up, our church for the last six months has been involved in helping uh, once a month provide a meal for their program. Beth Nordman, who's one of the most amazing people, if you don't know her, uh, has been leading the effort. And so one way, if you want to be generous and you want to be a part of serving in some sort of way, is that uh, in December, 
uh, we uh, have coming up the second Tuesday of the month, uh, we're, we're, we have the meal for them, and we want to do something special for the holidays. So if you're interested in being a part of that, uh, let us know via the connection card, and we'll hook you up with um, Beth, but we could use either donations for food uh, or uh, people who want to serve. But anyways, we're learning a lot about generosity, that it's this idea of living open-handedly. And open-handedly reminds us just the fact that we're free, right? I mean, if you think about it, the posture of an open hand in itself is just free. I mean, think about it. Clench your fists for just a second. I mean, if you clench your fists after a while, you feel it, right? Like, you can kind of just feel the pressure of it. You probably, most people don't sleep like this, right? Like, you don't sleep like this where it's just tense. If you do, you need to see your doctor probably. But after, after you let go, there's something just wonderful about the freeing experience. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, which is where we're going to be hanging out, uh, in, in verse 1, we read this the very first week. This is sort of, uh, the, 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 if there was a title verse for the whole book, this is sort of the most famous one. It just says this. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now, Paul writes a lot in this book, and I'd encourage you, if you've never read this, it's a short book. It's pretty easy to read. Um, you should read it in its entirety. If you have a journal, it helps you walk through that. But he talks a lot about freedom throughout this. And this idea that we, have, by our own normal nature, are very sinful. We're broken. We have a propensity because of a fall that happened in the book of Genesis that we have this propensity to oftentimes engage in the desires of our own natural heart, which are not the desires that God has for us. And those desires, though, put us in a place of slavery. They put us in a place of being burdened, of being imprisoned, and yet Christ has came to set us free. He hasn't came to leave us high and dry. He hasn't kept uh, came to leave us just in prison, but he's came to set us free. Now, if you have a Bible again, you can open up to Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to be starting in verse 13. And this is what Paul writes to this church. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by one another. Now, it's interesting that Paul goes back to Jesus' words when he talks about this idea that the, the entire law can be fulfilled. You know, Jesus says that he is the fulfillment of the law. He talks about how... Because of him, because of his teaching, because of his presence, because of his sacrifice, we no longer are under all of these ideas of the law. The law originally was set up to say, I need to keep a people group set apart. I need to give you these rules so that way this will help you try to stay in good standing with me. But in Christ Jesus, we find freedom uh, in that, in that he has... uh, He is... He's taken on all of that. He's taken on all our sin. He's given us a new sense of freedom. But he talks about this in a very interesting way. He says, uh, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now, can I be real with you guys? Most of us, if we're honest, we want freedom in all capacities of our life for very selfish reasons, right? We want financial freedom so we can do the things that we want to do. We want freedom of our time so we can do the things that we like to do. I mean, there may be a few people, but most of us, if we're honest, are not going to say, 
If only, and really follow through with it. God, if you would just make me uh, debt-free, give me a tons, uh, I don't have to work, give me tons of money. Most of us probably are not going to choose a life of poverty to serve others. Most of us are probably going to choose a fairly comfortable lifestyle. We would probably try to help out others, I would hope. But the reality is, Jesus teaches this idea that we have been given this freedom so that way we can serve others. You see, Christ offers this freedom uh, from ourselves. Because the reality is, our own selfish desires, our own self sometimes, are the ones who enslave us. My own selfish ambitions, my pride, my ego, my inner workings. Man, I'm so glad that there's not like an invention where people can like read your mind because people would not like me and I would be a terrible person probably. I guess I already am. But the same with all of you too. You're in good company. But... The reality is that ourselves oftentimes are the thing that leads us to be enslaved. Our own selfish, sinful desires. But Christ offers us freedom from ourselves, and that leads us to service to others. That as weird as it sounds, when we become a servant to Christ, a slave to Christ, it's, it's interesting. We don't like those terms for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons why that vocabulary is difficult and just weird for us. But the reality is, Paul writes oftentimes about this idea of becoming a slave to Christ. And yet it's weird how we recognize that when we become a slave to Christ, we experience freedom for the first time. It's just this weird thing of trying to figure out. But it's this reality that the more that we have freedom and autonomy just ourselves, the more that that typically distance ourselves from Christ. And yet we find freedom when we are fully free, fully engaged, giving our whole life over to Christ which then leads us to serve others. He, you know, Paul writes this. He says that the entire law is fulfilled by keeping the one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Some people would probably say, well, what about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Then love your neighbor as yourself. I think what Paul is recognizing and I think is really important is just this. To love God is to love your neighbor. That you cannot just have a vertical relationship with God and not have any horizontal relationship with others. You can't just sort of have this relationship with God where you like you, you, you like take yourself and you move off to this crazy commune just all by yourself and you're just, you're just praying to Him all the time. While God wants our, uh, desires, or He wants our devotion, He wants all our attention, He also has called us to a greater mission of love. And if we don't love our neighbors, we're not really fulfilling what He's called us to do. Now He goes on and He says this in verses 16. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desire, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now he says a lot in there, but I want to highlight a couple things real quick that I think is important to realize. He talks about this tension, that our fleshly desires are just natural wants and desires, which is where sometimes in our own culture we say things like, boys will be boys, um, you know, ladies, they, these are very bad general um, things, by the way, so give me a little grace on this. But we say, we say terrible things like, you know, it, boys will be boys. They can say this, they can think this, they can lust, whatever. Or we say, well, ladies, they just talk and gossip, and that's just the way it is. And yet we recognize that even in this, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. What maybe naturally comes to us in our culture is naturally accepted. What we think is okay. No, 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 no. That's contrary to the Spirit of God. That's contrary to what His call and desire 
for us is. Not only because he said so, but also because it, it, it's good for us. We don't recognize that oftentimes when we indulge the fleshly desires, and we're going to talk more about this, that really, while it feels like it's this great thing, we feel this freedom because no one's going to tell me, no book, no church, no pastor, nobody's going to tell me how I can live. We realize that slowly every moment of sin distances us farther and farther and farther from our Creator, who loves us, who makes us whole, who gives us peace, who gives us joy. And so we recognize this tension that's going on in our lives. We also recognize this, though, that he mentions this. You just can't do whatever you want. I mean, he just plainly says that. They're in conflict with one another so that you are not to do whatever you want. Can I be honest with you? There is a frustration for me sometimes when I have conversations with people where I get it. But we treat this idea that like, okay... Like, Jesus and God, like, I get this idea that he's the one true God. I get this idea that he's all-knowing and all-powerful. But we say phrases like, I could never believe in a God. I could never serve a God who believes in X, Y, Z. Or, hey, like, God, like, I love you, but I'm also still going to do this. Or uh, maybe you were a sinner like me and you grew up sometimes watching The Simpsons. Uh, And I remember there's an episode where where Bart Simpson kind of, uh, you know, prophetically and wonderfully just lays out how many of us live our lives where he just he talks with this pastor person at one point and they're like well bart don't you know that you don't know when you're going to die and um you know you can't just live this lifestyle and he's like oh i'm good i know when i get older i'll you know kind of ask for forgiveness and deal with all of this and he's doing it very tongue-in-cheek and he's laughing about it but the reality is many of us live our life like that we sort of say like god loves god forgives i can do what i want and while that's true That's what a a theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. That, That the grace and the freedom that's been extended to us is not something for us to use and abuse. It's something for us to humbly accept. I think sometimes we put ourselves on this plane where it feels like we are peers with God. Where we can say like, well God, you owe me this. Can I be honest with you guys? How many times it's really sad how I get myself in a bad predicament and I look at God and be like, God, you got to come through on this one right now. You got to. And he almost always does. Maybe not always the way I want to. But even that posture itself puts me in a place where I feel like I have a power position where God owes me something. The reality is it's the exact opposite. God does not owe us anything. That's why the gift of grace is so wonderful. It's something that's unmerited, unearned, undeserving. And so that's why Paul talks about this idea, though, that we live by the Spirit. I love that if you read in there, he uses some different verbs. He talks about this idea of we walk by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit, and we are to live by the Spirit. You're gonna, we're going to read some of those in just a minute, and we keep in step with the Spirit. But it's this idea of a dynamic a moving relationship with God. That we don't just pray a prayer, experience forgiveness, and then it ends. But that we are constantly in motion with the Spirit of God. I think about it sort of like this idea of if you grew up watching uh, the movie Peter Pan, where there is the shadow that, that Peter Pan is constantly trying to get. In some ways, that is us with the Spirit. We are constantly trying to figure out how do we stay in step with the Spirit? How do we live as close with the Spirit as 
possible. Now, in Romans chapter 8, another letter that Paul wrote, he wrote to this, obviously, to the church in Rome. He just says this in chapter 8, verses 5, he said, 5 through uh, 7, he says this, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Now, let me just stop there for just a moment. For some of us, we sometimes will sit back with God and say, God, why do I continue to deal with these temptations? Why do I continue to uh, lose to these battles of the flesh? And most of us, I would say, is just this. Most of us still have our minds set on the flesh. Most of us look for little boundary markers to say, how can I get as close to not sinning as possible? How do I like get to the point where it's like, okay, like I can go this far sexually with someone without having to sin? I can go this far in being a little bit shady in business dealings without it being sin. When in reality, if we were smart, we would recognize that if our mind is not on this idea of just being what, with what the spirit is and not avoiding what the flesh is, that we would be in a much better place. Now he goes on. He says, those who live, live according to the flesh have their mind set on, the, on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. Again, Where your thought life is, is probably how your heart and your actions will go. If you don't have a prayer life, if you're not getting in God's word, there's a reality that you're probably not going to catch some of these things. It's sort of like a relationship, uh, a marriage, where you feel disconnected, yet you never go on dates, you hardly have any conversations, and you wonder why there's not a great connection. It's because there's been zero work put in. There's been zero connection fostered. He says this, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now, these are harsh words, but Paul is trying to get us to have our attention on this idea that you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't keep up your sinful habits and think that your life is going to be changed. You can't say like, all right, God, I would love to be made new, a new creation in your thing, but by the way, I would like to continue my pornography addiction. You can't say, God, I want to be made new, but also still keep gossiping about all the people in your friend group. You can't do those things. They are in conflict with one another. And the sinful peace is going to be like an anchor that is going to drag you down, is going to keep you disconnected from God. And the truth is, we have the choice on whether or not we let it keep us dragging us down. Now, back to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, starting in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Now, when Paul uses the term flesh, he's talking about this idea of flesh being humanity. He's talking about this idea that if we go back to the garden, we go back to the original fall, Adam, man, when he and Eve sin, there becomes this, this new thing where there's separation from God. And because they ate the apple that gives them the knowledge of good and evil, they no longer have this perfect relationship with God. And there's just this natural desire inside of every single one of us that even though our factory setting originally was set to be good and to be perfect relationship with God, and it's still there, it still has the opportunity You better believe that every single one of us have a sinful desire bent. And if some of you are like, no, that's not true. Have you ever had a baby? Good Lord, are they selfish? I mean, seriously, I'm I'm, kind of joking, but think about it. All a baby thinks about is themselves. All they want is what they want when they want it in that moment. 
And when they keep going on, even when they're, when they're a toddler. Think about it. Have you ever like, it's like, I've, I've never met a toddler who never has a moment where they probably hit another kid with a toy because they're mad that they're not sharing with them. I mean, that's just a normal thing of life. We have a natural bent towards the flesh. And so he says this. He says, the acts of the flesh, they're obvious. And I love that he does this because, again, we kind of dictate around this sometimes. Where we're, I've even had it, and people well-meaning, but are like, I think sometimes when we have to ask, like, well, is this sinful? Usually we already know. I think we're hoping that someone will kind of say, like, well, it's not that bad of a sin, so you're not terrible. But he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. They're sexual immorality. They're impurity and debauchery. Idolatry in witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's talk about some of these for just a second, okay? Most of us, if we're honest, we might have snickered a little bit when we heard some of the words I read, and that's okay. You're amongst a person who's a child, too. Uh, but I love a couple things that he does here. One, he ends by saying, and the like, which and the like is sort of like a job description where they write in anything else the boss says. It's to say, listen, don't take this list and be like, all right, I killed a person. It doesn't say anything about murder on this one. I'm good. But let's be honest for a second, okay? How many of us, as I read that list, are like, all right, I, I haven't practiced witchcraft in a while. I haven't attended any orgies recently. Um, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't worshipped a real idol in a while. It's easy for us, right? We 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 tend to, I, I think this is why we categorize some sins as worse than others. You know why I think we do? One, it's different. And two, it makes us feel better. I mean, for real. Sometimes there's something good about being like, hey, it could be a lot worse. I didn't murder someone. Like, I'm not like a serial, like, you know, adulterer. Like, I, you know. Yeah, I have my own selfish desires and all those sort of things. But when we do that, it's, it's sort of like the idea that um, the enemy to great is good. Like we think, like, I'm, I'm okay, not bad. That typically holds us back from being great. And the interesting thing is when we read these, I want us to just recognize this fact that, again, this isn't an exhaustive list. Paul is just trying to get an idea for you to know, listen, it's not that hard to realize what the flesh is. It's not that hard to realize what are things going on. But I hope as we read these, we would recognize in our own hearts that there ain't no one in this room who could say they don't deal with selfish ambition, sexual immorality at one point or another. And when he talks about sexual immorality, the, even the Greek word that he used is a very open-ended thing. Some people would be like, oh, he's obviously talking about like um, rape and homosexuality and other things. And he's not talking about lust or, um, you know, things that I search on the interwebs or uh, the thoughts that I have when I read weird romance novels. No, he's talking about all of these things. Every single one of us have dealt with jealousy, envy. Lord knows we've probably had uh, moments of dissension, faction, discord. We've had moments where there's tension, where we've added to conflicts. And so here's the good news about this list. If you fit on one of these, you're in good company. Because you're with everybody in this room. You're with everyone who's ever been born. But there's something important about recognizing what these are. Now, I want to say this, though. As we look at a list like this, again, I don't want us to just let the, 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 the big ones jump out at us. I want us to be reminded that all sin leads to separation with God. 
All sin leads to separation with God. There's not one that is like, oh, you did this one, so like here's this huge pile that you're way far away. And it's not like when you just have this little sin, it's like, all right, there's just one little brick. Like you can still see God. No, no, no. Sin in itself is just separation from God. And so we can't look at a list and be like, well, at least I ain't that bad. You see, because God doesn't keep people from the kingdom, but their sinful choices do. You know, he mentioned at the end there that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the truth is, is that uh, we sometimes will look at that and be like, well, why did God have to make these rules? Why did he have to do these things? Why can't, the, why can't we just live by the acts of flesh? It's because they harm us. It's because they lead to conflict. It's because they lead to more sin and brokenness in this world. And so I always want to tell people when they say, why is God mean? Why does he make us follow these things? God has been more than gracious to us. And it's not God that keeps us from the kingdom. It's our own sinful choices. Now let's keep moving through because I've got I to go a little speed note now. Now he says this, starting in verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, otherwise known as patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Now there's a lot in there, but really what Paul is trying to say, and a lot of scholars will, will point this out first, it's important the order that is there. He starts off by saying the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then he goes on. Really all of these things, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of these are a byproduct of love. It's why that in one of other, Paul's other letters, he talks about this, how, how the greatest of all attributes, the greatest of all things is love. Now, it's interesting, too, that he uses the word the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. You see, we look at this sometimes, and I think we want to, like, pick and choose, like we're going to go through there. Like, well, um, you know, I think I would like joy maybe a little bit, and, uh, ooh, faithfulness sounds nice. Not sure that I want the self-control at this moment. And the reality is, is that the, the words that he uses are important. This idea that it's the fruit of the Spirit is this idea that it's this package deal. Now, yes, I fully am aware of the fact that there are moments where there are certain ones of this fruit that feel a little bit more evident in my life than others. But the idea is that it's supposed to be a nice little fruit basket, not something you're buying a la carte. And it's interesting to recognize this too, when he kind of compares and contrasts this idea of the works or the acts of flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. Think about this. Work involves the idea that something that you had to intentionally put work in to do. You know, it's interesting how I used to laugh when I was in college and I would uh, talk with people who would say things like, yeah, I just accidentally made out with this person. How does that happen? You know, you did not. You decided that you were going to go watch a, a movie with them in a room by yourself. Are you really going to tell me that you just this happened? This accidentally happened. Every single sin that we have doesn't just happen. It's premeditated. By the way, also some of the premeditation is sin in itself, but that's a different sermon for a different day. But it, it indicates this idea that, that that sin that we do doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. There are things that we put the work in for. On the other end, though, the fruit, though, comes from a place of this. I don't know about you, but if you've ever gardened or tried to plant something, it's crazy how there can be times where you could do everything right, 
and you still don't get the crop or the harvest you desired. You know, farmers are some of the most faithful people because they they recognize that it's still a spiritual practice, that you could have all the right equipment, you could have all the right seeds, you could have all the right soil, and there still could be factors beyond yourself about the fruit. You still have to entrust that. And when it comes to this idea of walking with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, fruit does not come from performance, it comes from presence. Fruit does not come from performance, it comes from presence. It comes from a presence being with the God of all the universe, asking the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, desiring to follow after His will in His ways. You, yourself, cannot earn the fruit of the Spirit. It's not something you can attain or control. It is a gift from God that is the byproduct of being in close relationship with Him. Now, I'm about to land this plane. In Romans 8, we're going back. We're going back to before we already read. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, run through 4, it just says this. It says, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do is in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in his likeness of, of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled so that those who do not walk according to the flesh will walk according to the Spirit. Here's the really good news. If some of you are like, well, great, pastor just told me that I'm a sinful, broken person. Yep. And uh, uh, I'm going to continue to be a sinful, broken person. Yep. But here's the good news. In Christ Jesus, when we keep in step, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. A couple weeks ago, uh, one of my favorite couples in this church was at the same restaurant as my family and I. And uh, they may or may not have done the old switcheroo. And it's funny how uh, I was so dumb, I didn't like think about it. I think I was tired. And, and the waitress came towards the end, and we were kind of like, all right, we're ready for the bill. And she's like, uh, you're all good. And I was like, ma'am, I have not paid. Uh, I need my bill. And she's like, no, 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 you're good. And I'm like, ma'am, seriously, I want to pay for my bill. Can I please have the bill? And she's like, sir, it has already been paid for. You know, some of us, I think, want to live still in a performance-based faith. We want to earn our way. We want to work out our salvation. And most of us, I think, this morning need to hear this. When you are in Christ Jesus, your bill has already been paid. There is no more debt. There is no more you have to do other than continue to stay in step with the Spirit. This isn't a temporary moment that happens. This is an ongoing process. This is a lifestyle. So don't forget. Because I believe that the greatest danger of sin is just that it's a distraction from God, from his purpose and his plan. And one of the sins that we don't always want to talk about is complacency. That we can get to a place in our life where we think, I've been generous enough. I've served enough. I've prayed enough. I've read that Bible more more times than I can remember, I'm good enough. And my hope and my prayer is you would recognize, don't stop. Because the God of all the universe never stopped pursuing us. 
He never gave up on us, even when we failed and continue to fail. He kept pursuing us. So continue to pursue Him. And recognize that when you are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. There's only freedom. There's only grace. But the Spirit is something you have to choose for yourself. Would you guys stand as we're going to close out and sing one last song? Maybe this morning some of this is resonating with you. And I I hope you know that, that whether it would be the first time or the first time in a while, if you want to experience freedom in Christ... All, all you have to do is just begin by acknowledging your brokenness, your sin in your own life. Saying, God, I recognize this, that I've been acting and living by the flesh, and I desire to live by the Spirit. I desire to walk with the Spirit in step with the Spirit. And all you have to do is ask Him to forgive your sin. And He will. It's already been paid for. And then just ask Him to empower you with the Holy Spirit to follow His Son, Jesus in his teachings to become a disciple of his because we recognize in that God doesn't just care if we get to a place where we believe that he's real he wants our whole hearts he wants our actions he wants our checkbooks he wants our calendars he wants to see every aspect of our life be changed and transformed because he wants us to be free so my hope and my prayer is during this time of prayer that I'll have just a moment and during this song that whatever business you may need to do with God, whatever conversation you need to have with Him, that you wouldn't leave this morning without having that conversation. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank You for the freedom that we have in Your Son, Jesus. Thank You for the fact that we don't have to live in a state of condemnation. God, that we don't have to allow the flesh desires inside of us to win. That God, though we are weak in You, Because of your spirit, God, we can be made strong. And so, God, we pray that you would make your spirit grow stronger and stronger inside of us. That, God, you would help us to lead a life where we would have boundaries, we would have guidelines, so we wouldn't get ourselves in situations and scenarios. But, God, we recognize that we are wholly dependent on you. That, God, without you, we are nothing. That, God, without you, God, we can't earn anything. God, we can't make ourselves get to a place where we can pay any debt, God. And we thank you that the debt has already been paid. So, God, as we sing this final song, God, would you just speak words of hope to us? Words of love. And, God, would maybe in this moment some of us come walking home and be embraced by their Heavenly Father. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.